This message first aired on the radio on June 24, 2003. It's an incredible thing, really, that the secrets of God or the mysteries of God have been given to people such as me and uh, you, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, these secrets are open to you. The mysteries of God, <clears throat> and we're looking at the second, for the second time, the mysteries of the kingdoms of, of the heavens. The mysteries of God are distinct from the gospel of Jesus Christ insofar as these mysteries are secrets. They're open secrets to the one who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're secrets that those who have not believed in Christ simply cannot enter into. Now, have you uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? You believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is how the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the simple gospel. That's not hid from anyone. That's an open thing. Uh, there's no secret about the gospel. It's only hid from those who are perishing, those who are lost, whose minds are blinded by the enemy of our souls and the business of the devil. There is a devil. His business is to blind your mind. You're an enmity by wicked works in your mind. Your mind is subject to being blinded, and he will place thoughts there that blind your mind, even thoughts whereby you think you're being an independent thinker. But let me tell you that your thoughts are not God's thoughts. God's thoughts are found in the Scripture, and God's thoughts, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, how the Christ died for your sins, that's never been hid. It's never been hidden. It's not hidden now. That's no secret. But the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens, which we're studying in Matthew 13, and today we're going to take up the parable of the tares, uh, the second of this series of parables. Uh, these mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens are secrets. That's what the word mystery means. They're secrets. Now, they're revealed secrets. After all, what good is a secret if it's so totally secret that you don't get to be in on it? This is a secret that you're in on, and it is the secret of the kingdom of the heavens. And once again, we just want to remind ourselves that the kingdom of God, when referenced in the scripture, always references something morally positive. When we read about the kingdom of God, we always think about the arrangement that God wants to have in his universe according to his purpose and plan. Now, God gets whatever it is that he wants consummately and ultimately. But when we talk about the kingdom of God, we always talk about it as a positive moral good. This is not so when we talk about the kingdom of the heavens. What is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the heavens? Well, the kingdom of God is a concept that includes God's universe ordered and being carried out uh, the way it should be. The kingdom of the heavens in a, in, is, a, is a term that refers to, the, to God's uh, kingdom, God's universe, in the order that it is today, the kingdom of the heavens. And that is the heavens rule over the earth, but the heavens are in conflict and the earth is in conflict. The heavens have a war raging in them where wicked spirits in heavenly places are in enmity against God and the earth also is in enmity against God and there is an influence and a connection between the two. And so we see now the organization of the kingdom of the heavens uh, as it is today, uh, these secrets opened up to us in Matthew 13. And also, as we see these secrets opened up, we're reminded of who it is that's opening the secrets. That is our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the revealer of secrets. As Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, there's a God in heaven who will reveal this secret to you. Uh, he may use me as, as his instrument, Nebuchadnezzar, but it's not me who reveals the secrets to you. It's God who does it. 
And so Daniel gave glory to God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the revealer of secrets. Uh, There's a whole study that's a very profitable one, just to lift out of the scripture, the the ministry in the scripture or the word of God, when we come to mysterious, uh, mysterious form or secret form. The book of Daniel, the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching of the Apostle Paul as he lays out the mysteries. And we have a series about that, about the mysteries, which you're welcome to visit our website and see, and sometime we may rebroadcast also those. But today, we take up the second in a series of seven parables, or eight, depending on how you look at that eighth one, uh, seven parables of the mystery, mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens. And we trust that the first parable was properly comprehended by you. It's important that these parables be studied individually and together at the same time so that you can see the connection among them and that you can also see the teaching specifically of each and there's a progression in teaching. We saw from the first parable for example the four different kinds of responders as believers the four different kind of responders as believers four different responses we can have having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ having been sown by him uh, the different responses we can have according to the way we live or we could say according to where we live whether we live on the roadside, whether we live among thorns, whether we live among the rocks, or whether we live in good soil, that is, prepared soil. Well, we trust that study helpful to you. Now we take up the second parable, which is another parable. We look at verse 24 of Matthew 13, and it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of the heavens is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now we Now that connects us back to the first parable where the sower sowed good seed and the seed was good, nothing wrong with the seed. Uh, Some was fruitful and some wasn't, but it wasn't the seed's problem. And here we have now, it says another parable, and this is one of the same kind. That's the word another. There's two different words that can be translated another. One is one of the same kind, allos. The other one is one of a different kind, heteros. This is allos. A parable of the same kind, that is to say, still concerning the kingdom of the heavens, he puts forth unto them, kingdom of the heavens is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now we have a man sowing good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, or Lord, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then has it tares? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servants then said unto him, Will you then that we go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the same time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now here we have the parable set forth with all the particulars. But before we examine the particulars, and before we suggest the interpretation of the parable, why don't we do what people frequently don't do? Why don't we look ahead in the chapter and read what the Lord says about this parable? Well, I think we'll just do that. Uh, We see in verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away, went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us 
the parable of the tares of the field. Now here, of all, of the, all the parables that he delivers outside the house, and that's going to be the first four, they come up to him and they say, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, verse 37, Matthew 13, He that sows the good seed is the son of man. Now we know, therefore, uh, that this parable, it says, The kingdom of the heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now we have the identification that the sower is the son of man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the phrase that he uses to refer to himself. And the field is the world. So now we have the, the kingdom of the heavens, which is the rule and reign of the heavens over the earth. The field is the world, and the, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. So here we find the Lord Jesus Christ is the, is the sower, just like he was in the first parable. The seed that he sows are the children of the kingdom, just like in the first parable. We, we use that, and uh, there, therefore we know that there are four uh, different there are four believers in four different conditions, but the seed is the same. So we have four children of the kingdom. But the tares, it says in verse 38, are the children of the wicked one. So there are children of the kingdom, and there are children of the wicked one. And let me tell you, I was an enemy in my mind by works against God. I was apart from God. I was a lost soul. I was a lost person. But I was a lost sheep. And I've never been a child of the wicked one. No child of the wicked one ever becomes a child of God. Let me tell you that the, 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 the son of man sows good seed in the world, the field, in his field, and the enemy sows his own children as well. And it's not that children of the devil become children of God. I was never a child of the devil. I'll never be a child of the devil. I'm a child of God. I'm a sheep of God. And the characteristics of the sheeps of God are that they're either lost sheep or they're found sheep, but they're sheep nonetheless. And I assure you that the good shepherd will find and call all of his sheep by name. You say, that's an un unmanageable thought for me. Well, manage it. Deal with it. That's the truth. Well, here now we have not only the children of God in the world, but we have in God's field, and it's God's field, we have the enemy coming along and sowing the children of the wicked one. Now he identifies this for us. Verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. Now the Bible, King James, reads the end of the world, but the, we have a couple of words translated world in our Bible. We have the word cosmos, which means the ordered universe, translated world. We also have a period of time, or aeon, age, sometimes translated world, but better translated age. So here we see the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth, then shall the righteousness then shall righteousness shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we see here that the Lord not only gives the parable, but he gives and it discloses the interpretation thereof. He is the revealer of secrets. This is a great mystery. This is a marvelous mystery and a wonderful mystery and one that is very important for us to understand. So here, let's just look at the condition of the kingdoms, kingdom of the heavens as the Lord prophesies in this parable when he says the kingdom of the heavens is like this. 
There's one man who is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sows his seed in his field. And his seed grows and becomes fruitful in his field. His seed is the wheat of the field. But while men slept at night in the cover of darkness, the en- his enemy comes in and sows among the wheat his children known to be tares. Now this word tares in the King James Version is an unusual word. And if we're not careful, we'll misunderstand it. There are plenty of misunderstanded Uh, misunderstandings out there to be had. Some will call this a Darnell. This is not a Darnell. Uh, This is a Zawan. This is the plant known as a Zawan. It's in Palestine. Uh, It looks like wheat when it's uh, growing, but once it uh, it starts, it should be fruitful. It turns almost completely black, and it's poisonous. And uh, the Zawan, before uh, the Zawan can be harvested with the wheat, but before the wheat is taken to be milled and turned into fine flour, uh, that Zawan has to be taken out or it'll poison the flour. And so uh, here we have a, a marvelous teaching concerning uh, the age in which we live in and what God is going to do, uh, what is going to happen during this age what we ought to do, what we ought not to do during this age, and what God will finally do at the end of this age when the Lord Jesus Christ comes with his holy angels. So we look here and first we see that the the wicked seed are sown in amongst the wheat while men sleep. Now there's nothing the matter with sleeping. It's something God doesn't do, but it's something that as men we have to do. We, We have to sleep. Nighttime comes. We sleep. And uh, almost every night we sleep, and uh, we can't go long without it. But here we see that while men are sleeping, an enemy sneaks in. We have stealth here. We have a sneaky one. That's how the devil operates, by stealth, in cover of darkness, emblematic of his evil, coming in. And uh, and he sows uh, weeds, his own, among the wheat and heads his way. And, of course, the damage already having been done, they grow up among the wheat. Now, as we look at the history of the church in the New Testament, we can see some of these weeds sown in among the wheat. We can see the work and the handiwork of the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ in amongst the children of God working his bizarre damages. And now the question is, well, we can observe it, just as it says here in the parable, the servants of the householder. Well, who are the servants of the householder? Those are the servants of the Lord. The servants of the householder come and say unto him, Lord, did you not sow good seed in your field? From whence then has it tares? Now we see the inquiry of the head of the house by those who are part of the household. Those are who are his laborers. Uh, they're his laborers. They notice that there's, there's these tares in amongst the wheat. And the question they have for the householder is, well, what should we do about it? And this is a good question, and this is one that comes up frequently. And this is one that if we paid attention to his answer, we would save ourselves from a lot of trouble, and we would have a good direction in our lives as the servants of Jesus Christ. So his answer, which we need to pay close attention to, very important to us, and we'll take it up when we come back after this brief uh, announcement. I'm John Malone, and you're listening to BibleStudy.net. Now, as we come to terms with this parable of the tares, we have to come to terms with the fact 
that there are going to be tares, and there's going to be the seed of the, the good seed of the Son of Man in the world, and that there's going to be this mixed condition from early on, while men slept, until the end of the age. And indeed, we have that. We have the condition, uh, the mixed condition, of the children of the devil sown in and amongst the children of the Lord in the world. And I want to say that that context is in the world. The field is the world. The field here is not the church of God. There is no place in the church of God for a child of the devil. But there is a place in the world for the child of the devil, and uh, we're going to have them. And uh, there are pla- there is a place in the world for the children of the Lord, and we're going to have them. And according to this parable, the kingdom of the heavens is, is like this. It is going to be this mixed condition until the end of the age. And what we don't see happening is we don't see the gradual process of the elimination of the uh, children of the devil. We don't see the systematic process of the application of some kind of um, <clears throat> chemical agent or process that will destroy all these weeds in amongst the wheat. We see them both growing together, we see them both harvested together, and then at the end of the age, it'll be for the angels to do this separation. And it is not for the servants, it is not for the servants of the householder or the Lord's servants to get that job done before the harvest time. And oh, if Christians would have paid attention to this recommendation, actually this command of the householder, when they say, shall we go and gather them up? But he said, no, verse 29, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Had the servants of the Lord throughout the ages, uh, since the time of the Lord's teaching here until now, paid attention to this command, leave them alone, let them both grow together until the end of the age, until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers who are qualified to do the reaping and to do the harvesting, you separate them. And here's a fact, friends. We're not capable, servants of the Lord, the householder, the servants of the householder, are not, the household servants are not capable, nor are they commanded to, nor should they try to eliminate the children of the devil from the from the world. Uh, it is not the province uh, of the household servant to do that. Uh, the the um, householder has commanded that it not be done, and let them grow together. Leave them alone. Now we see this mixed condition early in church history if we read carefully in the book of the Acts as we see the word of God being spread throughout the known world at that time uh, we see a progressive and a systematic continual uh, invasion in the world by the forces of wickedness and, by, and, and oftentimes we'll even see children of the devil in fact there are those who are called the children of the devil in the scripture one notable place uh, is in John chapter 8 where the Lord tells certain Jews who begin to oppose him and begin to accuse him of things uh, that they are not the children of Abraham 
but they're the children of their father, the devil, uh, literally the sons of the devil. Well, when we come through uh, the book of Acts, we come to a place where someone is going to be called a son of the devil. But if we were to look at the book of Acts, we'd begin to see early on uh, the impact of evil uh, as it begins to, uh, the, the entrance of evil as it begins to impact the work of God. And we see that the, the enemy, our enemy, uh, sows, tares in amongst the wheat. The problem is we can't always be sure uh, who's a tear and who isn't. After all, if it was the job of the servants of the Lord to eliminate the tares that they thought were tares uh, before the harvest came along, you know, before the harvest, uh, uh, until that fruit comes out, until it's the time of the harvest, you can't tell the difference, you might make a mistake. Certainly, if the servants of the Lord uh, were busy trying to root out the tares, uh, if they considered it that wor their work to do that, and uh, they were given leave somehow to do that, uh, they would have made so many mistakes, as many so-called Christian movements have done in the past. Many so-called Christian movements in attempting to uh, purify the world from evildoers, uh, taking it upon themselves to root up and eliminate the tares, uh, have done great despot uh, to the wheat, to the children of God, in so doing. Uh, we, If we look at the book of Acts now, we begin to see an emergence of evil all the way back in Acts chapter 5 I would say the first kind of departure that we see we see Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit uh, try to uh, mimic the giving of Barnabas uh, who gave everything that he received for the selling of a field uh, they trying to emulate him but keep back part of it lied about it and said that the that they were giving the whole thing in order to get praise to themselves and of course this now they weren't children of the devil they were believers I'm I'm convinced uh, but still we see the beginning of the influence of evil beginning of the influence of evil in the work of God I, I, and that was in the church of God but of course the field is the world then we see the evil growing we see uh, for example dissension start out in the church of uh, Jerusalem, we see dissension between the Grecians and the Hebrews about the ministration of the common goods that they had, in, the things that they had in common. And then we see in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is murdered by those who uh, are the children of the devil who just cannot withstand the truth, and uh, they gnash their teeth at him and they murder him. And of course, he's the first known martyr. Uh, in the in the book of the Acts, and then we see Simon the sorcerer or Simon the magician uh, come along, who uh, who uh, evidences evil. But there are very many who would say Simon was not a believer; he was not a true believer; that he was a child of the devil. But the Scripture doesn't say that. The Scripture says that Simon believed and was baptized. You say Simon, Simon the magician, saved or lost? Well, the Bible says he's saved, but I know you want to say that he's not. You want to say that he didn't really believe, and uh, maybe eliminate the guy. Well, you see, we're not qualified for those things. And then we come to Acts chapter nine, and who do we see? Why we see the greatest opponent of the Christian church at that time? It's Saul of Tarsus. 
Well, what if uh, the servants of the Lord wanted to root up Saul and destroy him because he's an enemy of the faith? Uh, then we would have lost the apostle to the Gentiles before his commission. And on it goes. We see very many uh, uh, ones who are in enmity against the work of God, who are against, uh, obviously, uh, against uh, the counsels of God, and yet God tells us, leave them alone, uh, don't do anything, God may save some of them, like he did the Apostle Paul, and, and that we were wrong when we thought that they were tares. We, we thought they were tares. They looked like wheat. They acted like tares, but turns out that they really were wheat. So this uh, condition of admixture in the world, uh, we're to behold it. We're to understand it. We're to realize that this is the conditions in which we operate. But what we're not supposed to do is take action against uh, these, uh, what we notice, and before the time, try to act out that which is not ours to do. And now let me just say that this is the frustrating and uh, difficult uh, and harmful error of today's dominion theology. You see, just like the Corinthians were not qualified to rule and reign in their day, we are not presently qualified to rule and reign over the earth. No, we need a king to come back. We need our Lord Jesus Christ to implement the kingdom of God on earth. And even though we anticipate it, and even though we're in the kingdom of God, and even though we believe ourselves to be on the right side of things in the rule and reign of the heavens over the earth and the kingdom of the heavens, uh, we're only sanctified, we're only uh, set apart by God to do that which he has commanded us to do. And in this parable, the command to the household servants is to do that thing that is so hard to do, uh, and that is to do nothing. Now, Dominion Theology is out there today, which says that, well, we're here to rule and reign and to take over the earth for God and to run things the right way. Well, that's not what we're here for. We are here to bring the Word of God to a lost people, to people who are on a sinking ship, and we're, to try, we're here to tell them, look, save yourselves uh, from the disaster that's ahead. Uh, we, we can't avert the disaster. Now, the disaster is coming. You can't really avert the disaster of the, of the coming age, but what you can do is deliver your own self, and that's by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the work that we've been given to do. We have enough trouble getting that done without adopting some other agenda. And what agenda is that? Well, to adopt the agenda to run everything the right way. Now, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to eliminate the tares. We can recognize them. We are to know that they're there. And we should be confident that, that we don't have to call that the evil good and the good evil. We don't have to say, well, God has placed those tares there. Uh, what we have to realize is an enemy has done this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against wicked spirits in heavenly places. And it's so important for us to leave them alone. And there's a good reason. And the reason that we're to leave it alone is because if we, be, if we endeavor to try to root up the tares and to do that, we will invariably, as the scripture says, but he said, verse 29 of Matthew 13, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. 
I can think of many purges that have gone on in, in history uh, in the name of righteousness, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, many purges against different groups of people. This has been especially conducted by the Roman Catholic Church uh, during the times of the Inquisition and so forth. Uh, many times where uh, there was a, a, an all-out uh, assailment, an all-out uh, uh, warfare against those who did not subscribe to the orthodoxy of what some thought was the Christian faith. And uh, these were called heretics, uh, these were called children of the devil, these were even called devils themselves. And uh, all of this in the name of Christ, and all of this against the command of Christ, who said, leave them alone. I don't care who you think might be a tear or who you think might not be. Whoever you think might be, uh, the scripture says, leave them alone, let them grow up together. Uh, the Lord has this all under control. And at the harvest time, he will send his angels out, and uh, first he'll gather out the tares, and he'll stick them in bundles, and he'll burn them. But the wheat he'll gather into his barn. Now we look here at this bundling up of the tares, and uh, of course we have the parable, uh, the, the uh, figure of speech, uh, birds of a feather flock together, well, we have that little proverb, uh, I don't know where it comes from, but uh, it is similar to some areas of Scripture. And we do see this bundling process. We do see uh, birds of a feather flocking together. Uh, we begin to see, even in the age that we live in, uh, signs of the end of the age. As we begin to see uh, the, the tares, we begin to see the fruitfulness of the children of the devil and of the devil's schemes. We begin to see the fruit coming loose. We begin to see the fruit showing up. We begin to see the blackening of the tares. I heard yesterday, uh, was listening to a man talk about he could not understand how a great Christian denomination, the third largest Christian denomination in the country, eight and a half million person United Methodist Church, could possibly condone uh, the the ordination of uh, of a lesbian cohabiting with her. Uh, girlfriend. Well, uh, I don't understand how you don't understand that, my friend. You look at the scripture here, you know that there are tares sown in among the wheat. Uh, their fruit will show them out. Uh, they begin to turn black at the end of the age. Uh, we know that the end of the age is going to be marked by, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the, in the day of the coming of the Son of Man, as it was in the days of Lot. Well, what was it in the days of Lot if it wasn't sexual perversity running rampant, if it wasn't a righteous Lot in the midst of a sexually perverse people? Uh, you say, well, how could a large denomination in America uh, tolerate this kind of behavior? I look at the scripture and I say, how can it not be that large denominations in the United States or any other country wouldn't be marked by this kind of behavior when we have from the beginning children of the devil sown in amongst the wheat in the world. And we see this and we behold this and the question immediately comes, well what do we do? And the, the most difficult answer comes back to our ears when we say, what should we do about this Lord? And he says, leave them alone. 
leave them alone. Now that doesn't mean that you continue in happy fellowship with them. That doesn't mean that you let them tell you what to do, and it certainly doesn't mean they act like them. But you leave them alone and you go on your way. You go on your way because there is work to be done. And the work that's not to be done is to pluck up the tares. So what's the work that is to be done? Well, the work that is to be done is to continue to sow precious seed. Even though you go forth weeping, you'll return uh, in happiness, joyful, bringing your sheaves with you. All these agendas that men have for us that are not the Lord's agenda keep us from walking in the works that God has prepared us to walk in. And when he says don't do anything about the tares, that doesn't mean we don't do anything about anything. That means we need to turn our thoughts to what our agenda really is. And we're not here to fix up this world. We're not here to spray deodorant on the stinky old world. We're here to give the gospel out, and we're here to give the word of God out in order that some can rescue themselves from this untoward generation. Well, I'm glad I'm rescued, and I'm here to help you also get saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. I'm John Malone. This is BibleStudy.net. We'll be back in a minute. Stay with us. We have some more good stuff for you today. Well, when we look at the final portion of this parable, uh, the parable of the tares, we see that it ends with the end of the age. We see that it ends with the harvest. Uh, here, verse 30, uh, it tells us, Let both grow together until the harvest, and in time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And in the interpretation, uh, we're told that the harvest is the end of the world, verse or the end of the age, Matthew 13:39, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let's hear about this. And now I want to take up the strange and unusual topic uh, of angels. Uh, there's a lot said about angels today. There's uh, Angels are misportrayed all around us. Uh, we see uh, female angels, something not known in the scriptures, something actually hostile uh, to the scriptures account. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about angels today. And I would say in that context, there's, of course, a lot of wrong thinking about angels. It's interesting that in the scripture, uh, we don't see any angels. We don't see any commentary about angels until after Abraham believes God and it's counted to him for righteousness. In fact, the first time we see angels is after Abraham has believed God and he's split with Lot and uh, Abraham is uh, uh, in... Uh, uh, the, the the cool of the day, he's in his tent, and it says that uh, three men come to him. We discover that two of them are angels, and one is the Son of God himself, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Abraham receives the Lord Jesus Christ into his tent and runs out and gets a calf ready and so forth. 
answering the Lord Jesus Christ's remarks in John chapter 8, that if you were of your father Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. Uh, this is where he tells the the, the children uh, of the Jews that oppose him and that want to kill him, that they're, chil- that they're sons of the devil. Uh, he, Abraham received the Lord when he came. Now three men came, and two went on to uh, rescue Lot from Sodom, because he wouldn't get himself out of there. And the first time we hear about angels directly referenced in the scripture is in the account of Genesis 19, where it tells us there came two angels to Sodom uh, at evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. Now, we know that these two men are angels because it tells us this. Uh, Maybe you know the story. Uh, They come in. They... they come there to rescue Lot. They tell Lot they'll stay out in the street. Uh, Lot won't uh, have that. He knows that he's entertaining angels. Uh, he's not one that entertains angels unaware. Uh, Abraham certainly uh, could have been one. Uh, but but Lot now uh, brings the angels into his house, and I trust you know the rest of the story. But here you see the angels are there to rescue Lot and to help bring Lot uh, and his wife and his daughters out of Sodom uh, before judgment. So we see angels first introduced in the context of God's judgment as ministers who bring to pass God's judgment. God was going to bring uh, fire and brimstone on the cities of the plain, including Sodom and Gomorrah and a few other cities, by the way. And uh, the angels are the ministers of God sent to minister to men, and in this case, to drag Lot and his wife out of Sodom, uh, kicking and screaming as may need be with his daughters. And so we see here angels connected with the service of man, connected with the judgment of God, and connected, by the way, with the uh, uh, at least a picture of the end of the age because as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. The next time we see angels in the scripture, by the way, uh, it's a dream of Joseph. And uh, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. We see this in Genesis 28, verse 12. And the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Now we see the heavens over the earth. We see a ladder set up from the earth into heaven and angels going up and down uh, that ladder. So angels are used by God as emissaries to the earth. And so the kingdom of the heavens over the earth also involves the administration of angels uh, as they come from heaven to earth. Angels who minister to God. Of course, in the in the heavens we also have the angelic conflict because we have the prince of the power of the air and his angels so the kingdom of the heavens uh, which uh, has to do with the heavens ruling over the earth has much to do uh, with the angelic conflict and we uh, hope that you have become students at least through this broadcast we hope we have helped you become aware and become students of the angelic conflict uh, which is all around us which is above us and against which we wrestle so here we see uh, non-adversarial angels and uh, then we also know that we have adversarial angels Um, we also see uh, angels uh, uh, meeting Jacob as he goes on his way and uh, 
Uh, of course, here we uh, oftentimes see the head, the the head of the host of the Lord, uh, said to be an angel, but which we know of to be uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, but angels met with Jacob before he met with Esau uh, to minister to him. And we see angels uh, in the book of Psalms. Uh, where we're taught that angels are the ministers of God, especially the ministers to the Lord Jesus Christ, but that he makes angels his ministers to men and even to uh, the Lord Jesus himself. We also see that angels are involved in the praise of God. And uh, then when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth, we see the angels specifically ministering to him when he was out in the wilderness, uh, after he survived the temptation after he defeated Satan in the temptations of the wilderness angels came and ministered to him in the wilderness now we see here in Matthew 13 uh, that the angels are are shown to be those agents which specifically will bring about the judgment of God at the end of the age and if we were to focus our attention today we don't have time to do it but if we were to focus our attention today to the great judgments of God that will be in the earth at the end of the age which we can read in the book of the Revelation we'll see that angels are the agents he uses to bring that to pass. So when it comes to actually using forceful means, when it comes to actually bringing to pass judgment on the earth, we don't have any part of that except to bring the word of God to people, which brings judgment if they don't believe it, and and to be causes for the judgment of God as we're persecuted by those who hate the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are never agents of God's vengeance. We're not ever agents of God's uh, judgment uh, and God's uh, harvesting and reaping and so forth. This he will do without much effort. This he will do without very much trouble at all. This he will do without us by the use of the angels. Now we see here uh, the Lord talking about the angels harvesting in the book of Matthew chapter 13, but if we were to move forward to Matthew chapter 24, we we could see in the 31st verse that angels will be sent with the sound of a trumpet, and they will also gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth uh, to the other, that that they will select out those Jews at the end end of the age, uh, that that they will select out those Jews, those elect Jews, who are dispersed throughout the whole world, and they will collect them, uh, because the Jews will yet be uh, dispersed throughout the whole world, and these are believing Jews in an age that is yet to come. Now, something else uh, that is interesting uh, about the angels is that they seem to have a special ministry to children. Uh, the Lord in Matthew chapter 18 talked about little ones, and he means uh, little children. And he said, Take heed that you don't despise one of the little ones, Matthew 18 verse 10, For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. And so we also see that the angels seem to have a ministry against the defenseless children, uh, those of who we Uh, so often neglect uh, of defenseless children and their angels do always gaze upon or steadfastly look upon the face of our Father who's in heaven. One other aspect about angels that's not looked uh, thought about much is the fact 
that angels uh, have no uh, sexual identity. I say they have they have no sexual identity. They always look male. Whenever angels take upon their heavenly bodies, their oikaterion, that's what the scripture calls them, their heavenly bodies, they take on the male form. But uh, in the, when the Lord was teaching about the resurrection, uh, answering the Sadducees, of course, who didn't know the scriptures, who didn't believe in the resurrection, and he told them, you don't know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God, because in the resurrection they, that is to say us, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And that is to say, they are asexual, they have no sexual identity uh, uh, in heaven. Uh, that is a, a matter of blessing and convenience here below. Uh, it is a matter of uh, temporal uh, necessity and requirement. And it's marvelous uh, that we have our wives and our husbands. And it's marvelous that we have our sexual needs and the, uh, in, in marriage the opportunity to uh, fulfill those. But it's a temporary measure. And the angels have none of that. Uh, the angels are in heaven are not given to that and uh, we will be like that in the resurrection. So we see here angels identified with the time of the end and the time of the great harvest. Now having said all that about angels and noticing this wonderful work and examining the fact that they have superior intelligence to us, superior power to us, and that they were created before before us. Having witnessed all of that, uh, one would be tempted uh, to bow down to an angel, as men are, or to revere angels, or somehow to uh, hold them in in uh, some kind of esteem that would be wrong. Uh, because and why is it wrong? Because to none of the angels did God say, Thou art my, th my son, uh, th this day I have begotten thee. To none of the angels did he say, Thy throne, O God, is forever. He said that to a man, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to know why, there, why there's an angelic conflict today? You want to know why the heavens are in disarray today? You want to know why the devil is all hostile today? It's because God took a man the Lord Jesus Christ, and he raised this man up above the angels. This is the reason for the enmity of the devil against Adam. This is the reason for the enmity of the devil against you and your wife and your children and your friends. He's the great hater of man because God has a plan for man that is better than anything can be that can be imagined. In fact, man will judge angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What? Don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Of course we should know that. That in Christ, God has raised a humanity up above the angels. Now that all being said, let's live according to what our Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. And here's what he says. The Lord tells us this. There's a day coming when I'm going to rule and reign. And if you'll suffer with me, if you'll be obedient, if you'll live a life pleasing to me, you'll rule and reign with me, and you'll enter into the joy of your master. But today is not that day. Be patient. It's a short, it's a temporary time. It's a very brief time until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. When he returns, he'll put his angels in array. He'll get the world all sorted out. We'll return with him. And if we're pleasing to him, we'll be able to 
uh, rule with him and take the place of these angels with whom we wrestle. In the meantime, as we see the tares growing in the field, his field, which is the world, among the wheat, we have to be very careful to leave them alone. Leave them alone and stay about our agenda. Well, I hope that that helps you in the second parable, the parable of the tares. Uh, This is the second of a series of uh, seven parables, open secrets every believer can enjoy. And let me say that uh, these secrets are overlooked. They're not much thought about, but the meditation in this chapter of Matthew 13 will serve you so well in opening the scriptures to you that you might enjoy them. And after all, that's our purpose here in BibleStudy.net, to help you enjoy the scriptures. I'm John Malone. This is BibleStudy.net. May God bless your meditation in his word. Until next time.